I'd like to open in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we look to you for the outpouring of your grace in this place. Father, I pray that you would speak to each heart by the power of God. Father, open up the word of God to us. Unless you open up the scriptures, our study is in vain. Father, speak to us life from the scriptures, I pray. And you know where each person is, where their hearts are this morning. Speak to their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, that the glory of God would touch them this morning. Father, I ask that you pour out your presence in this place and that you speak to us from the Scriptures. May Jesus be glorified. Amen. You may be seated. So today we're covering James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. So let's, uh, let's read that portion. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live And also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. These are strong words. And and this theme that we get within the epistle of James is very powerful. You know, sometimes we feel like, well, if somebody just told me the right thing to do, I would do it. You read the epistle of James. In our faces, James puts it. Very clear, imperative, decisive. He speaks to us what we ought to be doing. You want to know what you should be doing as a believer? Read the epistle of James. It will keep you quite busy. What we ought to be doing as believers. He says, come now you who say, in verse 13, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. So he's speaking against us when we are to say, hey, we're going to go and do such and such a thing. And you think, well, what's wrong with that? That's just, uh, that's ambition. Nothing wrong with ambition. No, there's nothing wrong with ambition. But as believers in Christ, we are different. The call to someone who has bowed their knee to Jesus Christ is different. It is to come under submission to Christ. This is what Jesus has called us to. So when we make plans that are of our own, that is wrong. People of the world, it is different. But if you call yourself a disciple of Christ, you want to follow Him, then He calls us to something different. I want to look at several different facets of this. And first of all, how in many ways this can be a relief. To be able to say, as he says in verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills. To be able to commit something to the will of God. You know, uh, um, one day a a business deal came my way, and I'm not a business person. I teach in a university. It's a much kinder and gentler place than the business world. 
And, and uh, uh, someone knew that I knew some people very high up in a very large corporation. And these other leaders of this second corporation, I knew them as well. And they wanted an introduction at a high level to make a large deal. And they said to me, we will give you 2.5% of this deal if you make this introduction and the deal goes through. And I started to think about the size of the deal. And the deal was going to be something in the range of at least $1 billion. That's a lot of money. I mean, remember, in the university, we do much smaller numbers. So 2.5% of a billion dollars is $25 million. $25 million. So you can imagine the distraction that's now going through my mind. I told him, I said, well, why don't you go talk with your board and refigure this thing? Because I'll make this introduction for free. They're my friends. You're my friends. I don't need this. You can... He said, no, we told you that's what we will do. That's what we'll do. And so my mind was constantly thinking about this. I don't need that type of distraction. You say, oh, wouldn't that be great? Not for me. I've got several things that I, I value in life, and I'm laser-focused in on them. This, to me, is a distraction. People I know with a lot of money are always thinking about how to maintain their money. People with this kind of money are worried about, you know, many people are always coming to them wanting donations. They have to set up this trust and that trust. And so many things can occupy your mind. And it's a lot harder to raise your children because there's all these expectations. And you have to worry about what they're going to be like in life if they've lived with all of this. So I didn't even want the distraction. So I said, Lord... If it's your will, bring it about. But if it's not, let it die. And I was very content with that. When we can commit something to God, it is actually a relief. And so when the deal didn't go through, oh, that to me was a relief. Because I had prayed, Lord, if it is your will, bring it through. If not, I'm very content where I am. There is something of relief in being able to bring something before God and say, Lord, if it's your will. There's another facet of this I want to think about, and that's, that, that's, that gets it at the heart of something different. And in James chapter 4, verse 6, in the same chapter, he gives us a little a, a, a snippet of something and says, and he says, quote from the Old Testament, but in James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. So think of this picture. God is not just saddened by the proud, but he opposes the proud. A stiff arm to the proud. God is in opposition to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace is even more than just an undeserved gift. As the scriptures tell us, it is the power to do the very will of God. So he gives us the power to do his will when we look at things in humility. The facet I want to look at now is that when there was this proclamation, we're going to go to such and such a city and do such and such a thing. Why would one not want to get the counsel of God? Why would one not get, want to get godly counsel? And I'll tell you from my experience, 
The reason we don't want counsel is because we don't want to hear something that may be opposed to our own will. When I got the offer to come to Rice University, it was about 14 years ago. And I was very happy where I was teaching, and, and uh, I really wanted to know God's will. So how do you assess God's will? How do you know? It doesn't say in the Bible, thou shalt go to Rice University. There's, there's some things we know very clear on. There's no problem. So, for example, if a young person comes to me and says, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of marrying this individual... And, and, and uh, uh, so w- one day, one of the young ladies who had been in the, in the Sunday school class, she called and she had graduated and she got into work and she was working about 50 miles away and so she was part of another church at that time. But she said, I want to bring this young man to your home and I want, and she was telling Shireen, I want you and Dr. Tour to meet him. And so Shireen, we really, really uh, uh, admired this young lady and so Shireen started to ask her about this young man and then she said, you know, does this young man know the Lord? And she said, well, no, but he's a great guy. And then Shireen said, if you bring him here, Dr. Tour is going to figure this out immediately and tell you not to marry him. Now, why would I do that? Because it's very clear. I don't need to hear a word from God on this. I don't need to. It's already here. It's already written that you should not be unequally yoked. And if you think you'll be the first person to make this work, Big surprise. It won't work well. And I've seen it many, many times. So there's some things we know immediately, just from the Word of God. There's other things like, should I go to Rice University? It's not clearly written. So I set in my heart to get wise counsel. I prayed about this. I didn't have any hesitations. But I said, I'm going to ask three people. One is going to be my father. My earthly father, he's not a believer, but he's, he's done rather well in business and he understands things and I admire him. Another one is my father-in-law, a godly man. And the third one was going to be my pastor. And I called them and I told them about, about the offer and the different things and the opportunities. When I spoke with my father, my father said, you would be an idiot not to take the offer. It's pretty clear. Pretty clear word. I spoke to my father-in-law, and he said, let me pray about it. He came back after prayer, and he said, you know, I I don't understand your business well, but I don't have any hesitations. And then I went to, I was calling my pastor. I, I called him on the phone, and as soon as he picked up the phone, he said, as soon as I heard the phone ring, God spoke to my heart and told me that it was you who was going to be on the phone and that you would be leaving town. And I told him about this offer that I had at Rice. He said, you know, I hate to see you go. But God spoke to my heart that this is the right thing for you. I had this enormous confirmation. You see, this is understanding the will of God. How do you understand God's will? I didn't want to say I'm going to go to Rice and I'm going to be this and be that. You have to assess God's will. But one of the fundamental problems is that we are afraid that his answer might be opposed to our will, so we don't want to ask. Let me turn the question around a little bit. So rather than, I'm going to go to such and such a place and conduct such and such a business and make a bunch of money, let me, let me put it this way, the thing that we normally deal with in the class in which I teach. So I normally teach the college students. And it's much easier teaching the college students than teaching 
people who aren't in college, people who are beyond college. And you say, well, why might that be? Because there's not as much baggage there yet. Because as soon as you start speaking in churches, people have piled on baggage in their lives that they feel terribly convicted. So I'm not trying to dump conviction on anybody. I'm just telling you part of the problem. If I speak about marriage to people who are married or have been married or have been married several times, there's all this conviction. But if I speak about marriage to people who haven't yet been married, it's much easier. They haven't messed anything up yet. So a problem that often comes up is, who should I marry? And so when they meet somebody, there's all these questions. But do I really want to know? Do I really want to know, Lord, what you have to say? You know, maybe for the young lady who's 29, who hasn't yet married, who thinks the prospects are getting pretty slim in the body of Christ. This happens a lot, you know, particularly for young women, because the prospects for them, as they start hitting their 30s, becomes less and less in the body of Christ. And so it becomes a real issue for them. And so we've got sort of this deal where if people want me to get to know the person and give them my opinion, I will do it. Not because I relish doing this. Really, I have a lot of other things to occupy my time. But because I care about people. And, and so I ask questions. And you think, well, who are you, Jim Tour, to ask these questions? Well, they've asked me to ask questions. So I'm not going to use my car as an example because nobody wants to borrow my car. But if I owned a Ferrari and you wanted to borrow my Ferrari... Walk up, can I borrow your Ferrari? You think I'm going to hand the keys over for my Ferrari? No, I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm allowed to do that. It's my Ferrari. You want to borrow it? I'm going to ask you questions. Where are you going? When are you going to come back? How far away is this place? And I'm going to put stipulations. You can't speed. No speeding. No going over the speed limit. You concede that that's all valid to ask. How many cars have you wrecked? How many speeding tickets do you have? All of these are valid questions because a Ferrari means a lot to a person. How much more somebody for whom Jesus has died in the body of Christ, for whom I'm opening up the Word of God each week and teaching and instructing them. And so I ask questions. The first question I ask is, tell me how you came to know the Lord. Because from this I can gather a lot. So they said, well, you know, I was born in a Christian family. Okay, and if you were born in a garage, you would be a car. Tell me, tell me more. Tell me more about this. Give me, give me your, tell me about how this happened. And I can tell immediately whether someone has really had a relationship with God. And then, boom, right there, I'll say, no, this won't work. There's no use in going on, this won't work. So I might be sitting this with this young man or with this young woman. They say, it's just not going to work. I really appreciate you, but the Bible is clear. Now you can choose not to obey the Bible. That's up to you. God gives us total freedom. Without freedom, there is no such thing as love. Total freedom. But do we want to know God's will? That is the key. Do we want to know God's will? So then I start to ask questions. 
So, for example, the typical question I'll ask a guy is, have you ever been married before? Uh, well, I'm, I'm only 21. <laughs> well, just asking. you ever been married before? Then it's not a, not, not a bad question. But that's something you'd like to know. Uh, do you have children? Because you don't have to have been formerly married to have children. I want to know. Not that any of these are deal breakers at all. Just because you, you have children doesn't mean you can't marry. I just want to understand who I'm dealing with. And what I'm looking for is the response. The response to the questions more than the answer. How are they responding? I mean, one guy got terribly uncomfortable. Got really upset. Was really upset about who I was to be asking this. I said, remember I was asked to, to do this? It turned out that not only was that guy formally married... He was married at that time. He was married to someone else, but he said he was looking for an annulment. I didn't even know what really an annulment is. So I ended up talking with one of my lawyer friends in the church. Said, What's an annulment? Is that like if somebody says to you that, that they're, they're, they've never been married and they're, they're not divorced and it turns out that they are divorced and you went through with the marriage? He says, no, no, that's just a lie. That you can't, you, can't, you can't sever a marriage for. An annulment is if he was not legally allowed to marry. In other words, if he had been married to someone else when he was marrying you. That's grounds for annulment. So, and it turned out, you know, I asked the other guy questions. So, um, do you have a criminal record? Not that that's a deal breaker. People who have criminal records can get married. So, and he got really upset. And then he went back to this young lady and said, you don't want to marry this guy. You really don't want to marry him. Because the questions that I actually get to after that are more intense. I didn't even have to go there with that guy. But I sit with them and I ask questions. And I ask questions like, uh, how often do you look at pornography? When's the last time you did that? And the questions get more intense after that. I want to see their response. You know, uh, many of you might know Trisha, who's a missionary in, 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 in Africa. And we love Trisha. Trisha just is a wonderful person. And she was like a daughter to me. For years she was in the college class. And she met a young man who is now her husband. But she met Keith on the mission field. And she, she talked to me. She said, you know, Keith is interested in me and I want you to talk to him. I said, I will be glad to screen Keith for you, because I love Trisha so much. So I talked to Keith, and I asked him the hard questions. I asked him much harder than, when's the last time you've been looking at pornography? This guy was so pensive, thoughtful, deep in his answers, and sincere. This is all by phone. He's in North Africa, she's in North Africa, and I'm talking to this guy. I wanted, I love this guy so much based on his response. I wanted to make sure that he pursued Trisha. And I said, let me tell you something, Keith. Trisha is the best. She has a heart as big as a house. If you get her, you will get a treasure. Pursue her. Got off the phone with him. I got on the phone with Trisha. I said, Trisha, this guy is tremendous. Don't lose this guy. I could tell he was great. 
I had no hesitations about him. He knew the Lord. He came to the Lord. His expression was there. He was active in the body of Christ. His expression of faith was more than praying over, over a meal. Jesus, thank you for the food. Amen. His expression for faith was much deeper than that. Do we really want to know? Remember what I'm telling you, young people. This question will come up. You will meet somebody. And as I tell young people, dating should be only for the assessment, is this person the right person for me in marriage? If not, move on. And that assessment can come rather quickly. If you look at the right things. And then if you don't want input, one of the questions I always ask young people when they're interested in marriage is, what do your parents think about this? Because parents have this amazing sense given by God for what is best for their children. Even if parents are unbelievers, they have an amazing sense of what is right and what is wrong. They say, well, they're all right. I said, there's something wrong here. If they're just, all right, there's a problem here. You've got to get this thing right. Your parents have to be on board because when you get married, you need all this support from the body of Christ, from families. You need an enormous support system in marriage to make these things work. So we want to use this to build relationships. Well, I don't have much of a relationship with my parents. Well, use it to build the relationship with your parents. Use, it as, use this opportunity to get their opinions to get their thoughts on this. This is an important thing to have that support system. Do I really want to know? What's the problem that James would say? Would say, you know, if you do this, it is sin in your boasting, in your arrogance. I mean, why would he say that? Because it is a standing against the will of God when we really don't want to hear what God's opinion is on a matter. There's protection in this and stability in this. You know, when, when God started laying on my heart to, and, and I started getting interested in Shireen, I went right to the pastor of the church who was a close friend of mine. And I shared with him and he said, I'll talk with her father. And he did. And, and here I had an advocate for me. And not only that, he said, let's pray for six months. And I said, I'm fine with that. We'll pray for six months. And I said, if the whole pastoral staff and the families are not on board with this thing, we won't go through with it. We won't get engaged. And after six months, everybody was excited about it, except one assistant pastor, who also was a good friend of mine. And then the pastor said, well, we will pray until we all hear God what God has to say. And another six months we set to pray. And after the second six months, he said, the, the assistant pastor said to me, he says, I'm fine with it. I have never doubted in my marriage whether I had married the right person. There were so many checks and balances. You see the security that comes when you make decisions in the body of Christ? And this question, have I married the wrong person, comes up in all marriages, except mine. Because I know that God would have spoken through all those checks and balances. There's protection in that. <clears throat> Let's turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 7 through 14, 
Jesus is speaking about abiding in Him. John chapters 15, verses 7 through 14. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Jesus said in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now why would God ever do such a thing? This is a very dangerous statement. Because people are insidious. You know the story of the of the antique owner, antique store owner. And there was a, he had a competitor just down the road who owned another antique store. And as he was cleaning one of the, the vases and he was wiping it down, a genie came out of the vase. And the genie said, I will grant you one wish, but just know that whatever I give you, I will give twice as much to your competitor down the road. And the man thought for a moment and he said, I wish to be blind in one eye. That's how insidious people are. This is a very dangerous thing to say, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. But it's predicated on, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. If there is a true abode, then there's the desire for the will of God. And God knows that you pray then according to His desire. That's the only way this could ever work. These are not just random words that Jesus thought He'd toss out because they sounded philosophically good. This is truth. This is in the Scriptures. Believe it. But it comes through abiding. In verse 9 He says, Just as my Father has loved me, I have also loved you. The establishment of love is secure. His love does not start and stop. It is secure. You are secure in Him. If you have received Him as your Lord, forever you are secure in Him. But what your life will be like, and the enjoyment you have in life, will depend very much on how much you obey. He establishes right up front... My love for you is there. Just as the Father has loved me, so I love you. The issue is closed. It is done. But then he says, abide in my love. So that means the love is here. There is love here. You can abide in it. But you have the freedom. I have the freedom to step away from his love. To move outside of his love. To move out of the umbrella of his love. You have that freedom. And he says, I have loved you. Now abide in it. Now abiding can be somewhat ethereal. What does this mean, abiding? And then he goes on to say, in verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in His love. This theme runs throughout the entire Old Testament and New Testament. Fear God and keep His commandments. The last verse in the, in, in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, all these hard things to understand. He sums it up in this. He says it's all summed up in this. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this applies to all men. Fear God and keep His commandments. Jesus said, you want to know what it means to abide? Keep my commandments. That is very simple. It is digital. It is simple. Abide means keep His commandments. Don't keep His commandments, you stop abiding. You step out from His will. And your life becomes hard. He says, these things I have spoken to you. In verse 11, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. He doesn't tell us to follow the will of God to constrain us, but to protect us. It's as if a 12-year-old were to say, forget it, I'm not living here anymore, I'm going to go out and be on my own. Uh, I don't think that's very smart. You're going to have to pay rent. You have to buy your own food. You're going to have to do something to survive. No, I can can handle that. But we know that's foolish. In this home, you are protected. It is a rough world out there. You cannot survive very well out there. This is what I am prone to do. This is what people are prone to do. I don't need God. I know what's best for me. I met this guy and I know we're going to work this thing out. One day I was in a wedding. I was the best man at a wedding. And I knew, I talked to the young lady. She knew the Lord. And I knew the young man didn't know the Lord because we were close. I was his best man. And I asked the young lady in front of her parents, how can you marry this young man? He doesn't know the Lord. Well, we love him for what he is and not for what he isn't. I talked to the young man. He said, well, you know, I've been going to church with her and, you know, I'm kind of open. I said, yeah, but you haven't sealed the deal yet with Jesus. And then at the rehearsal dinner, sat with the pastor and his wife. I said, how can you perform this wedding? He doesn't know the Lord and she does. The pastor stumbled around a little bit and then his wife chimed in. Well, we want to keep him in the church. It doesn't matter. The word of God is clear. The word of God is very clear on this. And then they got married and it wasn't more than a few months before he stopped going to church with her. Then after about five years, the divorce came, and I begged him not to divorce her. And then there's been a series of marriages and broken relationships, and because he just saw hypocrisy in the body of Christ. Do we want to abide? Do we want our decisions made in him? And there is peace in this. There is great peace in abiding. There is protection when we step out from that, it is like I often tell men, you know, their, their families are just falling apart. I said, let me, let me tell you what you need to do. You have stepped out from the umbrella of the body of Christ 
from the protection that comes being a part of the body of Christ. You come back under that umbrella, learn what it is to walk in submission, and your family will come back under with you. There is something here of protection that He has for us. In Philippians 4.9, there's a verse in Philippians 4.9, and it talks about how to have peace. Let me close with this, Philippians 4.9, the things that you have learned and received and seen and heard in me, that's Paul, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Peace comes through practice. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. If you practice these things, of submitting your will to the will of God, the God of peace will be with you. I am going to pray as I'm praying for you. If there are things that you need to submit to the will of God, you submit that now. Don't let this day go by without that. And then I will close. Let's pray. Father, Abba, Father, thank You for Your mercies. Thank You for Your kindness that You give us this opportunity to choose to follow Your will. Abba, I pray for these fine people that they would make a commitment to submit their will to Your will. To find what it is to be in that place of protection to find what it is to be in that place. Father, protect them, I pray. Father, for the men here who are making big decisions, Lord, I pray that they would learn to bow their knee before You and ask that Your will be done. Father, I pray for those who are considering marriage that they would seek counsel and Your will. Father, for those who are making other decisions, for women here who are making decisions, Father, may they submit this to Your will. Father, for those who are deciding whether they should continue on in their marriages, Father, I pray that they would understand what Your Scripture has instructed concerning marriage, that it should not be put asunder. Father, protect marriages, I pray. Father, that their will would be submitted to Your will. Father, protect them. Watch over their hearts, I pray. In the name of our blessed Lord Jesus. Amen.